Ezekiel chapter 37. I think some of you may have seen the title that we've given to this morning's uh, talk. It is, Can These Bones Live? And obviously this is a very well-known passage. We're about to read it in a moment. One very kind person came in and received the sort of welcome sheet with that uh, question on it and said, well, that's not very kind, is it, Steve? I said, what do you mean? Because all I was thinking about was the title. He said, well, look, your photo here, along the quest side, the question, can these bones live? (laughs) The hand of the Lord was on me. And he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? That question presupposes the answer, no. Because they are all over the place, very dry, totally dismembered, no flesh, etc., etc. The answer is no. Ezekiel, in his guts, knows that's the wrong answer. But he doesn't dare to give the right answer a Christian should give. And we all have that problem. I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. That's called hedging your bets. (laughs) Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you, and make flesh come upon you, and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. And the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but... There was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, 
Breathe from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say, Our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I'll bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. Now, this is, of course, a familiar passage. It's one of the familiar, magnificent visions of the Old Testament. And you may well have heard a number of sermons on it. I discovered when I looked back through various notes, because I thought to myself as I was preparing, because I'd given the title up ahead, I thought, I'm sure I've done this sort of thing several times before. The last one was in 2011. So I thought, six years later, that's not bad. It's worth repeating. But this is not a repeat. This is quite different. I need to say that. I still feel that God wants to speak a word to us now. He wants to speak a word to us as individuals. He wants to speak a word to us as OCC And he wants to speak a word to us that has application to our nation and the nations of Europe. So, although one could make this a very sort of effervescent type word, it's not just that. And I'm very, very grateful for the way that many of us have encountered God through the worship. Thank you, band, who led us in worship. We had a great time of worship this morning presence of God was here. People who got prayed for got powerfully ministered to. So it's like we're already on the track here. But I feel like God wants to say something very clear to us as a group of churches. Now Ezekiel is here promising to his people a change of fortunes. New leadership, restored land, Rebuilt cities. But the big question is, is this realistic? Is this promise that Ezekiel has been giving to God's people for several years now, is it possible? Is it, realis- is it a realistic promise? Can we imagine it? And, 
And the answer probably is not very easily because the reality of where they are living is the fall of Jerusalem, the people in exile, and loss of faith all around them. Now this is our challenge as Christians. We live somewhere between the reality of struggle in the world, struggle in our own lives, often feeling that, you know, we don't quite make it as we should. So there are struggles that we walk through, and yet there's promises that we have, either general promises in the Scripture or personal prophetic promises that we have received that we're not quite seeing either. We live in this in-between thing. The same is true of churches. We can feel there is a great sort of promise of a glorious future for the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, the church of God in the nations, and yet in many nations we seem to be struggling and perhaps on the back foot rather than on the front foot. And the big issue is an issue of faith. It's an issue of where we pitch our tent in terms of the realities that we face. Is it in terms of the reality of what we are now living or is it in the reality of God's promises? Where are we going to pitch our tent here? And how do we find a way through this? And I trust that in your heart every single person can say, actually that is my struggle. So this word this morning applies to me. And I have that sense that God wants to apply it to every individual. And then the question is, so how do we read the signs? How do we read questions and promises about what God is saying? We hear of great things happening there. Or there. Or odd patches. And we've heard some great testimonies this morning. But is that what we're seeing? Or is the church really diminishing? Are we living in an increasingly secularized nation? Europe is going where? (laughs) Son of man, can these bones live? (laughs) That's the right answer. Even Ezekiel was not that quick to answer. (laughs) We understand that you're prophetic, but you know, you've got to feel the question here. Well, can they? Because when Ezekiel looks at this valley of dry bones, it is a very, very bleak picture indeed. It's a nation faced with impossible odds. By the way, I'm going to try and do something this morning. I hope you'll understand why when we get there. This question is a corporate question and not an individual question. The corporate question however, is combined of lots of individual questions. Because across this valley, there are a massive number of bones that make up individual bodies that is one day to make up a huge, massive corporate army. The future of the church of God depends upon every single individual here and everywhere getting hold of God and calling God down. The future of the church of God depends on our personal engagement with God. And one of the prophecies that we've had, we've had several prophecies that are good, and I'll come back to them all in due course, but just remembering that prophecy that Mark brought us a moment ago, 
He asked us the question, are we prepared to align ourselves with our hearts and go in the direction God wants? And it's about getting in a train together. And many of us individualize our salvation far too much. It's about me, my blessing, my call, my destiny. Well, of course it is. It has to work for you. And if it doesn't work for you, there's something missing in the body of Christ. So I'm not trying to diminish a sense of personal call and personal destiny and personal future and personal blessing and Jesus taking us everywhere he wants to take us. But it's not just about you. It's about your neighbor. It's about the people in front behind. It's about all of us. And it's about all of us rising up and getting hold of God and seeing Jesus as the Lord of the church and aligning ourselves to his corporate purposes in the earth in these days and saying, I'm going with them. And I'm going with Jesus. And I'm going with the church. And I'm aligning myself to his purposes. Well, can these bones live? This is a challenging question. When we look around and we see individuals whose lives are completely broken, totally ruined, pretty dead of, Chris, of any spiritual life, totally decayed even. I mean, these bones, they don't even have a bit of flesh on, do they, to sort of work on? I mean, it's, you know, it's got to be creation out of nothing again. Have you noticed that? You know, sometimes when it's miracles, we see little ones and God's got something to work on. But, you know, isn't that an encouragement? But actually, there's no encouragement here. Just death. And if you don't have spiritual life and resurrection life in you, and only God has that. <laughs> but if you don't have that, then you're in trouble. So we see people whose lives are ravaged by Drug addiction, alcoholism, mental health issues, marriage breakdown, guilt issues, greed, you know, drivenness of one sort or another. Sometimes our faith is hugely challenged. And oddly enough, sometimes our faith can be most hugely challenged by the people we know best. Our families, people we work with, people we're close to. Can these bones live? Now you're not even saying yes. <laughs> He's gone quiet, our prophetic helper. Secondly, we see churches that once had some powerful dynamic witness, but seem to have lost their way and lost their values. Christians, perhaps, who aren't quite sure what they believe. Anybody feel sorry for Tim Farron? I do. He was pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed. I'm encouraged, actually, when I look around. You look around at the Anglican church that looked 20, 30 years ago as, as though it was on the way down, but there's just been a whole new wine movement that has risen up. Uh, and hundreds and thousands of people who were, you know, Worshipping every bit like we're worshipping and all the rest of it. I mean, it's just wonderful life in the Anglican Church. And think, God, you don't let your people go. <laughs> Can these bones live? Well, there is some sign of encouragement. That's not supposed to be patronizing. That's just supposed to be evaluating what we've seen God do over the last 20, 30 years. Or, you know, nations 
that once was strong but now look pretty feeble. Europe used to be the center of vibrant Christian faith and values. We've had huge sweeps of all sorts of Christian movements, you know, the Celts and missionary movements, and that was strong, vibrant spirituality. And the whole monastic movement, which probably Protestants don't think very much of, but actually it was a huge missionary movement and took lots of territory for Jesus and ought not to be underestimated. And Luther and Calvin and Carey and Spurgeon, and you know, you just got these moves of God going forward. And this was all in the context of Europe. And now, and now, hugely secular, can these bones live? The answer is, of course. Oh, yes, they can. (laughs) You're not allowed to respond, oh, no, they can't. Okay. (laughs) Oh, yes, they can. These bones can live. And here is the process that Ezekiel is brought into to see how they may live. And it's a prophetic process. And if we're going to see dry bones all around us come to life. It's going to be a prophetic process that we have to embark on. Ezekiel is told to prophesy. (laughs) Prophesy to these bones. So he starts prophesying. And he prophesies to the bones and bone starts coming to bone. And I won't sing the song. You know the song. (laughs) Bone starts coming to bone and there's a gathering and a rattling and flesh and tendons come, but they're still dead. No breath in them. Have you ever felt like that? Something spiritual starts happening and there's a rattling sound around you and you see things happening and you say, oh, this is good and then... Doesn't quite happen like that, does it? And you think, oh, well. And Ezekiel looks at these bodies now that have come together. He looks at them and he says, God, they look very pretty. But this is not what you promised. And God says to him, prophesy. And he has to prophesy. And he prophesies to the spirit and to the winds, and to the breath. It's all the same word in Hebrew. Ruach, ruach, ruach. Come, fill. (laughs) These bodies come from the winds. Fill these bodies with life. And they stand up. Because there's life in them. There's breath in them. And yet... There's something still missing. Because even though Ezekiel has started off a prophetic process where the bones come together and, you know, bodies are rebuilt and breath comes to them, there's still something missing in them. And the thing that's missing is hope. These people are alive, but they're still saying, but we can't see any hope around here. 
We're still stuck in exile. We're still, you know, stuck under the subjugation of another people. We're still in bondage. We're still in trouble. (laughs) This is okay. But it's not it. Now, I think this happens to Christians quite often, that they get so far along a process of life with God, and, you know, God comes to them and restores something to them. The things get connected as far as God's concerned. They might even sort of, they might even find some life in Christ, but they don't have any hope of breaking through situations in their lives which have them bound up and, and cause their futures to be blocked and their destinies to be foiled. And there's still a negative confession all around. Now, I want to ask you a very honest question because I want to know that I'm talking to the right people. How many people here have quite a strong negative side to them? Thank you very much. We have some honest people here. Does anybody else just want to sort of say, I should have put my hand up? Okay. There were quite a few who put their hand up. I am talking to you. Because I think one of the things that happens is that we get so far in the Christian life and then we don't see the breakthrough and we don't see the journey that we need to go on prophetically to get the hope and the faith in our hearts that we are going to go all the way with God and he's going to take us all the way into our destiny and he will deliver us from the bondage of the evil one over us and he will deliver us from all that oppresses us and he will bring us into the victory of Christ. Because that is a powerful journey. And God says to Ezekiel, prophesy. So he prophesies, only partly done. Prophesy, only partly done. Prophesy, because there's a prophetic work that God wants to do within us that needs to be completed, needs to go all the way, and needs not to stop somewhere. And I want to suggest to you that there's a great danger in leaving the work of God half done in our lives. Do you remember when Nehemiah was building the wall to restore Jerusalem to former glory? He starts building up. They, you know, they start with huge enthusiasm, and then they get halfway up, and now they're really exhausted. Well, that's normal. <laughs> you start a project with great enthusiasm, and now you're exhausted, and they're starting to get depressed, discouraged, Etc., etc., the wall's half built. I suspect there are people here who've come so far with Christ, and now I remember one of our church members a few years ago. I was talking to him, he's in his late 40s. He had quite an adventurous, sort of younger part of his life. And, and so I said to him, So, what are you looking forward to? He said, Well, the pension's looking quite nice. And I have to say, I was deeply and profoundly shocked. I thought, is that all you've got to look forward to? Where's the rest of the glorious adventure with God that you signed up for? 
Where are you going to you know, go to see the gospel come and take captives and the victory of Christ come and win nations? How are you going to engage in that? You're thinking about your pension. If I'm talking to anybody who's just got their eye on the pension, this is a word for you. You've got better, and if it's not very good, praise God, you've got better things, you've got better things to think about, right? And it's to do with the glory of the kingdom. We need to understand what we're doing when we prophesy. I wish I had a little bit more time to develop this, but I don't. So, but let me, let me try and help us understand what's happening in this prophetic process. What are we doing? First of all, we're speaking from God. That's the first thing. If you're going to speak from God, even to yourself, you'd better know what he says. And that's why most of us have nothing to say. Because we haven't found out what God's got to say. I'm going to talk a little bit more about this in a moment. But we're speaking from God into people's lives and situations to restore people's dignity and self-respect. I've loved some of the testimonies that have come out from the streets of Oxford this week. And uh, I've been sort of listening, and I've I've watched the stream a couple of nights. I have to confess, I did get here another night, and I haven't been out on the streets. And I feel no, I was out on the streets one day. This is really bad news. I was out on the streets one day, showing an Indian family around Oxford, and I was describing some of the great spiritual history that we have in Oxford to these Indians. I mean, that concerns uh, John Wycliffe and and uh, Wesley and Whitfield and the Oxford Martyrs and uh, C.S. Lewis and, and all these guys. I mean, we have a marvelous sort of, so I'm diff, diff, you know, sort of sh- showing them all these places of historic sites and, you know, glorious church history. And, and every so often bump into sort of teams of two people walking the streets to see people born again. And I'm thinking, they're the, they're, they're the good ones. They're doing the job. They're doing the mis- I was so embarrassed, and it seemed like I bumped into half a dozen teams, <laughs> all trying to get us born again on the streets. It was wonderful. For everybody who's been out doing that, God bless you. You've been about a glorious, uh, a glorious mission. And I was just playing the tourist. I felt really embarrassed. However, there you go. And now I've lost my place. Um... <laughs> Yeah, we're speaking from God in this prophetic thing to restore people's dignity and self-respect. When we go up to people and say, you know, can I tell you something? God loves you very much and has a great plan for your life. That is some of the best news. And one of the stories, the testimonies, that's where I was coming to. One of the testimonies was uh, somebody, they walk up to somebody and say, can I tell you something? God loves you has a great plan for your life, and both people burst into tears straight away. Because this is the best news that they've heard, you know, for ages. Isn't that wonderful? That sounds very simple, doesn't it? They were prophesying something into their lives. They were prophesying value, dignity, self-respect. We prophesy correction warning. We prophesy direction and vision. We uh, prophesy promise that uh, builds a foundation for prayer. We help people to know that God loves them. We provide faith instead of hopelessness. We shed light in darkness and confusion. And there are times when we even need to prophesy to ourselves and say, hear the word of the Lord, you dry bones. Because sometimes we get dry. And we better 
prophesy to ourselves faith instead of the old negative stuff that we often get into. Hello? I think he's being a little bit sort of rough with us this morning. Yes. What happens when Ezekiel starts prophesying? Well, the word of God spoken in faith starts connections. That's one of the things that we're doing out on the streets. That's one of the things that God is honoring and blessing. The word of God spoken into people's lives starts connections. It starts a rattling and a connecting of something with, with God and God's heart and God's word and what God's doing. This is what a sound that this nation needs to hear. Anybody say amen to that? And then when it, you get the privilege to pray with people... <laughs> And many of us, you know, have that privilege day by day of praying with people. We're engaged with people and also, so we're not just on the streets, of course. We're in conversations and we're in work with people and we're in people's homes. And we get the opportunity to pray with people and we call the Spirit of God in. That's this second prophetic thrust that Ezekiel has. And the Spirit of God ministered in power brings resurrection. There's something that happens as we call God into people's lives. Bang! Breath comes. Whoa, hallelujah. But it's not finished yet. <laughs> okay, we've only got... And we rejoice over the early stages, don't we? We rejoice over the rattling. We should. <laughs> and we rejoice over the breath coming. We should. But we need to go further because there's a lot that people need to be delivered from and a lot of mess that still needs to be tidied up and a lot of hopelessness that still needs to be broken as we continue this process in their lives. And it's the word of God that's spoken in faith that ministers hope, hope, hope. Now, if there's anything that is needed in our generation, it's hope. The feeling of powerlessness, being a cog in a machine, not being able to change anything. I was talking to a Frenchman yesterday on the phone. and I said, so, tomorrow you vote. How are you going to vote? He said, it doesn't make any difference how I vote. Now, this was a Christian, and I wasn't very impressed. He said, it doesn't make any difference how I vote. I said, well, it may not, but you should. He said, I probably abstain because I don't like either of them. I said, is one better than the other? He said, well, marginally. I said, well, vote for that margin. But people feel they can't change anything. They can't influence anything. They feel powerlessness, cogs. They feel they're caught up in the sort of stuff of life and relationships aren't working and nobody values or appreciates me. People are caught up in all that sort of thing. They need to hear God speak into those situations. So let me try and bring this into land a little bit if I can. What am I saying? Well, look. First of all, there are many individuals here you have started well, but you're in danger of getting stuck. And God wants to unstick you today. And he wants to take you further than you've got, not let you settle where you are. 
Because where you are is not where you need to be and where he wants you to go. It's not your destiny. Where you are is not your destiny. Can anybody say, yeah, I believe that? Yeah. Yeah. Where I am is not my destiny. <laughs> there, is, there is more. God wants to unstick us. And somehow we've got to apply this word to ourselves. Now, I'm going to tell a little story. It's a personal story. It's not really just to sort of, it's, it's not just for the sake of telling a story. It's because I think there are times when God calls us to do what we've got to do, you know, to prophesy to ourselves or whatever it may be. So, and it's about Lorraine. So I'm going to embarrass her probably. And I didn't ask her permission. And I'll tell you why I didn't ask her permission, because she would have said no. (laughs) So it's always easier to ask forgiveness later. (laughs) And she would have said no, because she's too humble a person to say our story isn't sort of, you, you don't need to tell our story. But I do want to tell her story. So the last five years have been actually quite challenging for Lorraine. It's not just living with me, of course. Uh, You know, although that might have its challenges. Um, But uh, her parents, uh, both of them, had different types of dementia. So uh, her mum had Alzheimer's and her dad had frontal lobe lobe dementia. Um, And both... And we moved out to Aston several years ago where we live now because we could see this happening. We could see a decline in her parents. And um, we were very clear that we had the choice of having them to live with us or supporting their own home for a little bit. So, so we moved out there and supported them in their own home for two or three years. And then came the point where we needed to make some other decisions. Uh, it's been a long process. I'm not going to describe it blow by blow. Um, but uh, we sort of moved them closer to us, and then we moved them in with us. Uh, we had some pretty spectacular fights uh, in our own house between them and between us. Uh, Dad was a little bit like Houdini, who kept climbing over the fence, that, you know, gates that were locked, you know, both sides and all the rest. He still got over, got out. We'd get a telephone call from the center of the village saying, do you know your dad's sitting in the center of the village? Oh, is he? He's escaped. Uh, we, had, we had all sorts of exciting uh, occurrences of this nature. Um, eventually, they both had to go into homes. They had to go into separate homes because their needs were different. That was difficult. And every week, Lorraine took her sister Shirley, because her sister doesn't drive, took her sister Shirley uh, to visit you know, the parents, uh, you know, watching them decline, not knowing were they going to be nice on this visit or were they going to be not nice, uh, because they go th- people go, with dementia go through different stages, as some of you know. And... Uh, uh, anyway, it just goes on and on. And eventually, last May, her dad died. And then just three days after Christmas uh, this year, her, her mum died. And uh, by the grace of God, um, and one of the things that we had prayed about, because we travel a lot, as many of you know, one of the things we tra- prayed about a lot was that we would be in the right place at the right time for whatever was needed by the grace of God we were both home on both occasions I was able to be with Lorraine and support her conduct funerals and so on and and you know we saw the grace of God in all of that and have absolutely no complaint with God about all all that happened he was with us he answered prayers we saw that over and over again 
Um, and I kept saying to Lorraine after her mum died, so are you okay? You okay? Yes, I'm okay. Yes, I'm okay. Many of you know you're okay until you're not okay. And I went away to Canada in February and came back from February. She'd been hit by a flu bug and I found her in bed, totally flat, but what was worse was her emotions were totally mangled up. Uh, and she was, she was in a heap and it was hard to know whether the worst thing was the virus or the emotions or whatever. And we were facing uh, six weeks from the beginning of March to mid-April of travel. And I was due to be in eight different places in France and Switzerland, eight different beds. Lorraine was going to come with me and Lorraine said to me, I don't think I, don't think I, can, I can do all that. And she said, you can go, but I don't think I can do it. So I said, well, look, this is simple. I'm going to ask them to release me. I don't think I should go either. I think we should stay here and we should just try and sort of get hold of God, see you stabilized, emotionally where you need to be, et cetera, et cetera. And, and so that's what we decided to do. Of course, everybody else is very gracious. We got release. And it wasn't that I wasn't working. I was working. I was just based at home instead of being based away. Um, we decided to start that process, and this was Lorraine's desire. She said, look, I'm, I'm just in a mess. I don't know whether I'm up, down, you know, what I'm doing. I don't, you know, is it, is it grief? Is it just, uh, you know, the years? Is it a post-viral thing? And, you know, you know how sometimes you don't know what's going on? It was one of those times. And it wasn't, it wasn't clear to read. And, um, and so one of the places we'd longed to go for some time and never sort of quite worked out two or three days to go was a prayer ministry retreat center called Faldi Brennan in South Wales. Some of you will have read the stories of that in, in, in the book Grace Outpouring. It's very, very powerful. We'd never been able to get there and so we said okay well here's some time opening up why don't we see if we can go and we went to Faldi Brennan um, the presence of God in Faldi Brennan it's an incredible story I haven't got time to tell you their story it's their story anyway it's in the book Grace Outpouring and there's a second book it's just been written called something else um, <laughs> and it's by Roy Godwin. Godwin thank you very much I knew some people would know and help me um, but they're both well worth reading. Um, we went there, and basically there's just a small prayer chapel. You go and get into a routine of prayer with other people. We did that uh, only for a day. Uh, and and uh, then the chapel emptied after the first time of prayer that we were at, and we prayed through everything. It's like we deposited everything before God. Um, and Lorraine poured out her heart to the Lord, and, and God met us in that place. It was very, very powerful indeed. Um, we looked at one another late afternoon that day and sort of said, is that it? And we thought, well, probably that day. It was good enough for that day. We went back to a hotel that we were staying in, because um, they do have rooms there, but we hadn't been able to get one of those. And... Um, and Actually, the prayer carried on um, because Lorraine found things coming up <laughs> uh, that just needed sort of... It's like, it was like layers of an onion, peeling layers of an onion. That went on for several days 
but it was triggered by, by that time when we decided to go, we, we've got to do something and we've got to meet God. And you know, it's not the only place you can meet God, but it was where we decided we wanted to go uh, and just see what God would do. It went on for several days, and now it's gone on for several weeks. <laughs> and because, because sometimes life, you know, life doesn't settle down all at once, and you're not whole all at once, and it's still a little bit up and down. And Lorraine has been up and down for the, for the last few weeks. Um, we've got, I, I probably needed the time as well, by the way. I need to be quite honest about this. Um, you know how it is. You're all okay until you're not all okay, I suppose, or until you've got time to think about it. Who here is living such a busy life they don't often think about how they are? Yeah, yeah. That's my club. Uh, you know, you keep going and you keep walking and then you stop and you think, actually, we've lost some of the freshness. And Rain said to me, you do repeat sermons a lot. Don't live with a prophetic wife, you know, if you can help it, because uh, it's uncomfortable. Um, well, I do. Good one's worth repeating. But anyway, that's, that's, that's between us. Yeah. But the point that she was making is you sound a bit stale. You sound a bit stale. She said to me, when we started this process, she said, you need this as much as I do. She was absolutely right. And uh, anyway, what I want to say, and this, this story could go on too long, you know, we started to get hold of God. We got into a new rhythm of prayer because, yes, we were praying together, but occasionally rather than regularly. <laughs> and in Valdi Brennan, you get into a rhythm of praying four times a day together. And uh, I have to say, even now, we don't quite make it four times a day because of, you know, the program, but a couple of times a day, we're praying together. And one of the things that we're doing is reading the scriptures together because Lorraine has needed to hear the word of God daily speak into her life. Now, how many of you know you can read it for yourself, but when someone else reads it to you, it has even more power? Ephesians 5 talks about Jesus washing the church through the water of the word. Jesus speaks the word to the church and washes the church with the water of the word. And it's a picture of how a man can wash his wife by reading the water of the word and this has become a very precious experience over the last few weeks uh, as we've sought to get hold of God together in a fresh this and allow the word of God to speak to us and day by day by day we've started to speak the word of God afresh into one another's lives now, I don't want to impose anything upon you that is of our personal journey. But I had a feeling that God wants to say, it is time for many individuals to get hold of God afresh. And it's time for us to start prophesying the word of God into us again, to bring things together, to connect us with God together, to speak life into us, and so on. So there's the first application. I want to suggest to you that's important. Now, and let me just say one thing. You can come forward today for a touch of the Holy Spirit, and a touch of the Holy Spirit will help, but it will also fade. Okay, but daily feeding on the Word of God and prophesying the Word of God to yourself and to one another will keep on building and keep on building and keep on building. Yeah. 
please do not omit that. We charismatics are very good at looking for a touch of the Holy Spirit that's going to fix us forever. It doesn't. It fixes us for the moment. It might turn things around, but you're going to have to keep on feeding on the Word of God and prophesying the Word of God to yourself. Now, secondly, that one's taken too long, but please, whatever cap fits from that, please take it and put it on. Secondly, I have a sense that God wants to speak to us corporately as a group of churches. And, you know, our history, I'm not going to go into history, but our history is that this group of churches was really born out of quite a remarkable move of God, the Holy Spirit, years back. And all the churches were planted in that move of God, um, the Holy Spirit, um, you know, years ago. Something corporately. I mean, we started church planting because it was prophesied. That prophetic word that we have lived in for years has stood us in good stead in all the church plants that, by the grace of God, we've been able to do together. But I wonder if we're missing something together. And our life has become much more consumerist in the sense that we're not sort of focused on the mission of seeing the kingdom come, but we're more focused on seeing what we can receive from our weekly meeting with God or with the church or whatever. And so a consumerist sort of thing takes over. And, you know, if something doesn't satisfy us, then we're in moany mood uh, you know, we're complaining about it and sort of saying, well, that's, you know, pe- different people like different things, you know, but we're going to give ourselves to the kingdom. And I want to suggest to you that God wants to bring a whole new wave of his Holy Spirit to us corporately so that individuals start living in the life of God again and are connected better with God. But corporately, we stand up as a group of people to serve the Lord corporately for the sake of his kingdom and we get on the train where the train's going. Now, this consumerist thing is works this way. That basically, we like the things that bless us, and we don't want to get engaged in the things that are work for us, or our commitment to us, or require sort of decisions, work, service, whatever it may be. That's consumerism. So we go to a Sunday morning gathering where we can sit, <laughs> evaluate, judge what's going on, enjoy what we can, get whatever life we can. We feel filled up, equipped for our week, with our family, in our job, in our place. That's consumerist Christianity, but that is not what God's called us to. That's not seeking his kingdom in everything that we do. And I want to suggest to you one of the precious things that God gave to us years ago was a sense of the joy of living in community, discovering relationship in the body of Christ, and also being in small groups in which we encouraged one another, built one another up, prayed for one another, encouraged one another on in mission, etc., etc., etc. Now, in most of our churches, less than half of the church are part of small groups. Now, that made me a comment on the small groups, and it may be a comment on us. And I'm not trying to be critical here. I'm trying to say, where have we got to? And, you know, 
And now we call our small groups all sorts of things. We call them missional communities, life group, link groups, house groups. I mean, there's all sorts of names for them. But essentially, what they're about is relational life through which we can pray for one another, encourage one another, inspire one another, speak and prophesy to one another, keep people on track, keep people centered on mission, keep people looking out. That's what the purpose of our small groups is. One way or another, that's what it's about. But most of us are not really there at the moment. Now, I understand life's busy. I understand when two of you are working, there's commitment and all the rest of it. I'm not really even talking about how we do it, whether we have to go to house groups or not. I am talking about whether we're living corporate life with relationships which work, where we can encourage one another. The small group is a good starting point, but it's only a starting point. It's not the end of things. But but whether we're really focused around one another or whether we're focused around ourselves, downloading enough life for us to survive on for the next week. That's not what God's called us to. That's consumerist Christianity. What he's called us to is an investment of our lives and energy in relational life in which we encourage one another, strengthen one another, love one another, help one another, provoke one another, one another, one another, one another, in order to get the love of Christ into the world. Amen? I want to suggest to you we need to look at that again and say, Spirit of God, come. Because some of our small groups are dead. Well, perhaps they need a fresh, fresh breath of life to come. And perhaps we need a fresh breath of life to be part of them. (laughs) Fresh vision, fresh hope, fresh joy, whatever it may be. And, And I want to encourage you to, see, this is the sort of, the ongoing part of this thing. It's prophesy, 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 prophesy to yourself, prophesy to yourself about relationships and life and love and joy and community and and what we can be in the world. If there's one thing that people are looking for all around us because of their broken and isolated lives is they're looking for community. And you and I have that. And what a joy to open the door to others and say, come and enjoy this community of love with God, where you'll meet the love of Christ, where you'll enjoy the acceptance of Christ, where we help one another up, where we pray for one another. Anybody say, that's what I want. And we've got to get on the train (laughs) to corporately enter into it. Let me just finally land this, and Steve's hoping I landed about 10 minutes ago, but there we go. Look, pray for the nations. I want to tell you that all is not over in the nations. In France, where they're having an election today, for the first time ever, he didn't make it through the first, the primary round, one of the candidates confessed openly he was a committed Christian. That has not happened in France for decades and decades because you're not allowed to own up to faith in politics. Praise God. Everything's changing. French politics is changing. And there are apostolic movements are coming together in France and starting to build together, seek one another like they never have before. There are signs of life happening in Nordic countries. Lorraine and I happened to be in Denmark a couple of weekends ago, very encouraged by a whole new wave of young ministries rising up to take hold of God and seek his kingdom. Spain, Italy, we're hearing stories of fresh life blossoming. Athens is a place where just about every sort of mission that's doing anything is working 
working in Athens. Uh, we think that Greece is, you know, you've heard lots of bad news about Greece. I'm sure you've heard lots of bad news about Greece and whether they were going to go broke and all this. Let me tell you something. The Spirit of God is working in Greece like nobody's business. Uh, Poland, Iran, Afghanistan. Did we hear the news today of those Boko Haram prisoners, those girls being released? Weren't we thrilled to hear that? Uh, there's still more to be released, by the way. God's at work in the nations. And uh, it's time for the people of God to stand up with the hope of God in their hearts and proclaim salvation to the nations and to get involved in nations. Go on a mission trip to Europe. Go on a mission trip, you know, into one of these nations and see more life come because these dry bones can live.